1: Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Billboard Pop Shop Podcast. I'm Keith Caulfield, Senior Director of Billboard Charts. And I'm Katie Atkinson, Billboard's Deputy Editor Digital. Hi, Katie. How are you? I'm doing great. How about yourself, Keith? I am... I'm okay. Because as always, the Billboard Pop Shop Podcast is your one-stop shop for all things pop on Billboard's weekly charts. In addition, you can always count on a lively discussion about the latest pop news, fun chart stats, and stories... New music and guest interviews with music stars and folks from the world of pop. Today on the show, we've got chart news about the star-studded hip-hop album Slime Language 2 from Young Thug's Young Stoner Life record label, uh, debuting at number one on the Billboard 200, how country star Eric Church brings the first of a three-part album series to the top ten, and how Polo G's Rap Star holds at number one on the Billboard Hot 100 Songs chart for a second week.
2: Plus, with The weekend teaming up with Ariana Grande again for a new Save Your Tears remix, we look back at the duo's history together and why they are a musical match made in heaven. But first, before we get started, if you enjoy the podcast, subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast provider so you won't miss an episode. And if you want to explore more podcasts from Billboard,
1: visit billboard.com podcasts. All right, well, let's get to the chart chat. First up, the star-studded Slime Language 2 compilation album from Young Thug and his Young Stoner Life Records family of artists debuts at number one on the Billboard 200 Albums Chart, earning 113,000 equivalent album units in the United States in the week ending April 22nd, according to MRC data. And The vast majority of that sum was driven by streaming activity, which is no surprise for a hip-hop album. The 23-track set showcases Young Stoner Life's roster of artists, as well as acts from outside of that Young Stoner Life camp, including Drake, Lil Uzi Vert, Big Sean, Nav, and Future. Young Thug himself performs on more than half of the album's songs, and in turn, the set is being billed on the chart to Young Thug and various artists. So, Slime Language 2 gives Young Thug his second number one album, following So Much Fun. Now, last week's number one album, Taylor Swift's re-recorded Fearless, Taylor's version, falls to number two with 57,000 units after having debuted a week ago with 291,000 units, the biggest week of the year so far. Two former number one albums are next on the chart, Morgan Wallen's Dangerous, the double album, and Justin Bieber's Justice are numbers three and four. Rounding out the top five, we have country star Eric Church, debuting at number five with his new studio album Heart, which earned 49,000 units. And it marks his sixth top 10 and sixth top five. All six of those albums have gone into the top five on the chart.
2: And I feel like we might be talking about Eric for the next few weeks as well, because he <laughs>
1: has sort of an unusual release, right, Keith? Yeah. Um, so this, this Heart is part of a multi-album project, and they're all individual albums. So um, there's Heart uh, and Soul, two separate albums, uh, and they're both widely available and they were released separately. So Heart came out on the 16th, Soul came out on the 23rd. Then there is the Ampersand album, which was released exclusively to members of Church's premium fan club called The Church Choir, and it came out, I think, on April 20th. So Heart, Ampersand, Soul, but if you're just the average Joe Schmo, you're only going to ever get Heart, Soul. You won't get the Ampersand one in the middle. Unless you join his club and Unless pay a bunch of money. Unless you join the church choir. They need more Unless... Sopranos. You know, that's what I've heard. <laughs> I've heard. Uh, you know, we were talking earlier
2: about this, and and Church is, is one of a few major stars who've dropped multiple new studio albums at the same time or in successive weeks like this. So, uh, Keith, who were some of those other
1: uh, artists? Yeah, I fell into a rabbit hole. Um, it's not super frequent that this happens, so that you tend to remember them. And the reason why this doesn't happen so often is that I'm just assuming the artist probably thinks, you know, if we put them out at the same time or one right after the other, one of them might be more warmly received than mm. the other. So one's gonna be higher on the chart, one will be lower. And also it's hard to get people to focus on one album, much less two or three. Right. right. So you have to be a special kind of artist to really pull this off in the correct way. So here's, here's some examples. We had in 1991, Guns N' Roses. Put out Use Your Illusion 1 and Use Your Illusion 2. They came out in the same week. In 1992, we had Bruce Springsteen with Human Touch and Lucky Town. Same week. 2004, there was Nelly with Sweat and Suit. I remember those well. Both came out in the same week. Uh, in 2014, Prince, who is always a master of doing everything a little bit different from everyone else because he is Prince and he can, he can, I'm saying in the present tense, you know what I mean? He can do whatever he wants because he's Prince and he will continue to do so even though he's not here with us in the physical realm. Yep. In 2014, he put out Artificial Age and Plectrum Electrum in the same week. And then in 2017, Future had back-to-back albums with a self-titled project and then Hendrix, and that's spelled H. N-D-R-X-X. They came out one week after the other, and they both debuted at number one on the Billboard 200. So that clearly worked out for him. <laughs> yeah, yes. You know, when we were talking about this, the first thing that kind of came to my mind was
2: Outcast's, uh double album back in 2003, which was Speakerbox slash The Love Below. And it was basically like, solo albums from each of the members of outcast andre 3000 and big boy but was called a double album and 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 packaged together right
1: I, yeah i kind of i almost remember and i could be misremembering but i kind of feel like didn't they want it to be seen as like two solo projects as part of the outcast thing, because they both wanted to pursue individual careers. And maybe this was a way for them to be like, all right, here's the outcast album, but it's really two separate solo. albums, Right. Well, yeah, maybe they
2: were satisfying some contractual obligations, yeah. et cetera. Um, but I, and I also, I really like about that. The fact that each of them had a really huge hit from their halves of it. Obviously I would, Hey, is probably the bigger, more, uh, legacy sustaining hit but uh i like the way you move was also a massive hit and both number
1: one's on the hot 100 chart
2: and that's so cool it's like look at what both of these dudes
1: can do <laughs> like yeah exactly. they don't just need to be together i think when we when i was also researching this i thought oh remember that time when all four members of kiss put out their own individual albums in the same week in 1978 I, I don't remember that but well, neither do i but you know <laughs> But, I mean, you also, in that situation, you run the risk of, like, all right, we would just put out four different albums from the four members. Who's going to have the most popular album? Like, that isn't good for internal band relations. No. No.
2: It's funny. Um, It makes me think of um, another former podcast guest. When we had John Mayer on, he was right in the middle of releasing his EPs that then turned into a full album. And so it's different. But, like, I asked him why he did that, and I, I was expecting some sort of like artistic answer but what he basically said was like it's really hard to get people to know about new music so this is a way for like three separate batches of headlines about three yeah. separate eps it's as simple as that he referred to the music industry as being an an autocracy as opposed to a meritocracy
1: because people I mean... need to be made aware of the music we're we're gonna revisit this awareitocracy thing here in a few minutes when we talk about the weekend and Ariana. Yep. Um, last thing I'll mention about this sort of two album thing: um, there's another multiple album project coming up from Thomas Rhett. He has an album coming out in May called Country Again, Side A, and then he'll have a sequel to that um, called Side B. That's due out later this year. But we're not really counting him in the same way as Eric Church, who has literally back to back albums. Um, Thomas is giving a little bit of breathing room to his quasi double album two part thing coming out later this year. <laughs> uh, lastly in our chart news, over on the Hot 100, Polo G holds tight at number 1 with Rap Star for a second week after debuting in the top slot a week ago. While the single was down in both streams and sales, its airplay was up 254% to 3 million in audience for the week ending April 25th. Still, it's far away from being like a radio smash. Uh, right now, the most heard song on radio airwaves. Number one on the radio songs chart is Silk Sonic's Leave the Door Open with just 71 million in audience. <laughs> so, you know, just real close. Um, as for the rest of the top five on the Hot 100, numbers two to four are all former number ones. As Leave the Door Open, which we just talked about, moves three to two. Justin Bieber's Peaches featuring Daniel Caesar and Givion rises four to three. And Little Nas X's Montero, Call Me By Your Name, falls two to four. Dua Lipa's Levitating featuring DaBaby. Regains its previous peak of number five with a six to five climb. By the way, in other Dua Lipa news, Dua Lipa news, she gets her sixth top 40 hit as her newest single, We're Good, rises 45 to 38. One Mm. more thing on Dua. I got to go. I got to
2: attend, quote unquote, the Elton John Oscar viewing party, um, which was virtual this year. And uh, Duo was the performer. And so she did four songs from Future Nostalgia. And then she duetted with Elton on two songs. They did a duet on his Benny and the Jets and on her Love Again from Future Nostalgia. So super fun. And uh, I got a press release, by the way, that uh, if you missed that, they are selling fifty percent off tickets to like replay it, um, which all goes toward the Elton John AIDS Foundation, which already raised oh, wow. three million dollars from uh, Sunday night's event. So help them that's raise insane. more. Yeah,
1: yeah. There was there was a missed opportunity. They could have done "Don't Go Breaking My Heart" together.
2: Ah, uh, well, you know what? He just did that with uh, Demi Lovato in concert not that long okay, ago. Yeah, okay, no. you know it's oh, been done.
1: <laughs> it's been done. Um, yeah, that's that's cool. That's cool. It was um, super cool. Uh, One last Hot 100 note, The weekend's fourth single from his After Hours album, Save Your Tears, is pushed down four to six on the Hot 100 after previously peaking at number four. But have no fear, as we're about to discuss, its new remix with Ariana Grande that was released on Friday, April 23rd, could generate some upward momentum for the song on next week's charts.
2: Yeah, uh, I expect it to. (laughs) We don't know how high (laughs) it will go, but uh, it'll definitely go higher. It's a fair Um, guess. Maybe something
1: good could happen. We don't know.
2: And, you know, these two, they do well together. Um, This is their third collaboration in seven years. Um, And in honor of their latest team-up, we thought we'd take a look back at all their collaborations so far and why they just work well together. Um, So just starting from the beginning, their very first team-up was on Love Me Harder, which was released back in September 2014. Uh, And it was uh, on Ariana's second album, which was My Everything. And the song... Peaked at number seven on the Hot 100, and the most interesting thing I thought I saw when looking back at the song, which was a huge hit, great duet, um, was looking at the co-writers of the song. So The Weeknd uh, was one of the co-writers, as was Max Martin and uh, Ali. I'm gonna mess some things up here. Ali Pavarni, Savan Kotecha, and Peter Svensson, and all the people I just named also co-wrote the weekend song "Can't Feel My Face." Uh, which he released uh, not quite a year later in June 2015. And uh, I think arguably his first out-and-out pop song. And uh, there was only one writer that wrote on the Ariana song, but not on Can't Feel My Face. And uh, Weekend got his first number one hit on the Hot 100 with that. So I was kind of drawing a line, and Keith tell me if I'm being crazy, but it just feels like, uh, love me harder was kind of like the weekend dipping his toe into the pop waters and, and Ari kind of pulling him that direction. And then can't feel my face was like, I've arrived as a pop star basically, you know? So it kind of feels right. like his, the Ariana duet was like a, a really good way for him kind of testing uh, those waters. Cause he was pretty underground before that. Yeah. And it's why these two work together. Cause that feels like they, they both offer each other something that the other does not have, you know, the, the pop gloss, Ariana has that in spades and and can, you know, donate some to The Weeknd. And The Weeknd has the cool factor that at that point, Ari was still a Nickelodeon girl. You know, she had, um, uh, why am I, is it The Way was her first, like, breakthrough hit from the first album, right? Like, she had that, which, you know, proved that she could make a pop hit. But teaming up with someone like The Weeknd proved that she had cool taste, you know, like... That she knew these people that, uh, you know, the whole world was going to know in a yeah. year, basically. Um, and then the next time they teamed up was just this past October. Um, he's featured on the song Off the Table from Ariana's most recent album, Positions. Um, this song uh, did go top 40, even though it has not uh, been released as a single yet. You know, Who knows what could still happen? Um, it went uh, peaked at, t- at number 35 after the album was released. This one is like super R&B. And once again, lending each other things. Both of these people have played in in R&B before, but it feels like that's where The weekend really started. His, his, you know, mixtapes were, um, you know, super R&B. So he's once again giving that R&B factor to Ariana and to this full R&B album that she made with Positions. Um, And now that brings us to their most recent collaboration, which is the new remix of Save Your Tears, this song was already a hit uh, before the remix. It uh, peaked at number four on the Hot 100 in February, uh, following the Super Bowl halftime show from the weekend, um, and also a music video that he put out in January, I believe, for the um, the song. And now we have a remix, and you know, it feels like this is going to be the perfect storm of these two teaming up. People are familiar with this duo, and it's a hit song that needed a little extra juice and feels like this is going to be the juice that it needs i would think um you know keith i feel like remixes we we see a lot of them sometimes multiple remixes of the same song you know why do they seem especially prevalent lately and and what kind of impact do they have on the charts
1: yeah it feels like there's almost like you can look at different remixes for different songs in different ways so some sometimes remixes all drop when the song comes out Mm. um but you know like maybe it'll be a song that is leading into an album like it's the first single from a forthcoming album and then you would drop multiple remixes all around the same time um all in one fell swoop to just drive tons of interest into it what's been happening more frequently though in the like in the past few years is that um there'll be something like old town road you know which will have its initial version then it'll have the Billy Ray Cyrus version, then it'll have the Soul Town Road version, then it'll have the Diplo remix to extend the life of the song and to just get more fans, to bring in more interest into it, especially when something becomes so oversaturated that you need something to kind of make people interested in, oh, there's a new twist to it. Yeah. Um with Save Your Tears, I think, you know, this song, like sort of other songs that maybe are coming from an album that is a little old, you know, a year old at this point, it is a way to Generate fresh interest in both the overall project, the album project itself, as well as the single itself. um, It's oftentimes a business decision because it generates more eyeballs and more clicks on that album itself. Um, And, you know, I think for this, it kind of makes sense because Ariana and The Weeknd have worked together before, so it doesn't seem incongruous. Like, it seems like they should yeah. be working together. It's yeah. not like he's he's calling up someone where it seems like they're strange bedfellows. You know, yeah. like, oh, they make sense together. I mean, and also, this is if this does happen to go higher up on the chart, it wouldn't be the first time. And in fact, it'd be kind of like a regular occurrence at this point for something to ascend up the charts after a remix ariana did it earlier this year with 34 plus 35 you know britney bringing on i mean rihanna bringing on britney for snm and taking that to number one um to even something like um i, I cited this a year ago when uh, i think you were on uh, maternity leave um was it a year was it was just last year goodness that baby's gonna be one in in just a few weeks so yes that's crazy <laughs> um Um, When when all the remixes were kind of going up the chart after Megan Thee Stallion and Savage with Beyonce and um, they saw with Doja and Nikki. Right. I I talked about with Jason when he was guest hosting. I I cited how like back in the 80s when George Michael released the single monkey as like he put out a remixed version of it. It didn't have a guest on it. It was just a souped up. Like high gloss remix that Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis reproduced for him, and it sounded different than the album version. And that single version is the one you saw in the music video, the one they put out as a commercially available single, and the one you heard on the radio. And that's what took it to number one. So Mm. this is happening. This has been happening for decades, but today it's just very amped up in the way they do it. Totally.
2: And um, if this does go to number one, it would really. I mean. After Hours has had such a crazy long life, uh, considering Heartless came out at the end of 2019. Then the album came out a year ago. Was it March or April? April, uh, April.
1: No, I th- I I think it was either the very end of March or early April. It was okay. right when the pandemic started. Yeah, yeah.
2: So it was a year ago. Um, yeah, because there was talk about is the weekend still going to put this album out or is he going to shelve it like a lot of people did? Um, and obviously a good decision to put it out when he did, and uh, he went to number one with Heartless first. Blinding Lights obviously went to number 1 and has had just the most insane run um you know will not leave the top 10 of the Billboard Hot 100 and then this would be could be his third number 1 The hat trick of chart toppers from, uh, you know, an already blockbuster album would be a pretty sweet cherry on top for the whole
1: era, you know, or maybe there's still songs to come from After Hours. He does have the After Hours tour that starts next year. So who knows how long this project will go on? We'll get we'll get an After Hours deluxe with even more songs. I I mean, we mentioned Dua Lipa. She's
2: had a super similar trajectory with uh, Future Nostalgia that also that came out just a week or two before After Hours in uh, 2020. And that one also has just keeps churning out, you know, like levitating won't quit comes back to the top five this week. Uh, It's that was a remix
1: in itself because she got the baby to show up on a remix of it. And that's what helped it up the charts as well.
2: Maybe there's something to be said for this past year, as weird as it's been, like being returning these artists to kind of a more traditional album cycle in the sense that, like, you're still discovering these songs a year later, which is insane. It just doesn't feel normal in streaming era,
1: basically. Well, there's, I mean, I've heard that a lot from, you know, when I talk to record labels and you probably heard the same thing, you know, when you drop an album now and, you know, if you're just a free Spotify subscriber member or on YouTube, you can listen to the whole album as soon as it comes out. It's not the way it used to be in the physical era. Where if you you couldn't hear all the songs on an album, you would in you would in theory discover songs, two, three, four singles into an album if you just happen to hear them on the radio for the first time or see a music video and you're like, oh wow, I didn't realize that was on that album. Oh, I'll go buy the album, right? And then decide to buy the album. Yeah, right. totally. To yeah. Now it's just like, oh, I'm just gonna listen to it for free, and I'm done with it, and I've and moved I've on forgotten with my it life. the same week. <laughs> And, and, and that's why people are releasing so many deluxes, remixes, and refreshing projects to keep interest in those projects and why someone like John Mayer will put out a series of EPs leading up to the full album project because he needs to, like, get people to be aware that he has something coming.
2: If you didn't hear about the first EP, maybe you'll hear about the second EP or the third EP or, yes, a headline will make it to you at some point. Yeah. Yep.
1: Um, all right. Well, that was a lot of chat about (laughs) stuff. That's what the people come here for. (laughs) The the chatter. Um, Well, now, it's time for the chart stat of the week. So, earlier, we talked about some major acts that had released two or more studio albums either at the same time or in successive weeks. And as I was doing my research, it got me thinking about how sometimes artists will release individual albums that are titled in such a specific, hopeful way (laughs) that they feel that there will be a second volume to that album whether or not it ever actually materializes months or years or decades later. So I'm talking specifically about certain greatest hits albums that are named in such a way where the artist clearly wants to indicate that there will be more hit singles after that greatest hits album. Because they're resentful to have to be releasing it so early in their career. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right, um, and what you what you what a lot of artists will normally do is just call it greatest hits, or maybe they'll put like a, a particular time stamp on it, like greatest hits 1980 to 1990, so you know that's exactly the span of time we're talking about. But these artists no, the ones I'm going to talk to Katie about, they didn't do that. So <laughs> for example, Pink released her first greatest hits album in 2011 and titled it Greatest Hits. Dot dot dot. So far, three exclamation points. <laughs> She wanted to make it known that they, just so far, there's more coming, yes. kids. So this is actually a quasi-quiz Katie segment. Oh. So Katie, I'm going to give you three album titles that had forward-looking titles, and I'd like to guess who released them. Hey, too bad you already said pink, because I was thinking about that one when we started talking about this. Okay, I'm ready. Well, That was a gimme. That was a gimme. Okay, so in 1996, this rock act dropped the number one album, Best of volume one they've yet to release a best of volume two but they have released another greatest albums greatest hits album since then that was also a big chart success but this album was number one in 1996 and it was called best of volume one from a rock act and i will (laughs) give you i give you a small hint okay they made tons of news that year when they had a brief reunion with their former lead singer well then i gotta go uh with van halen that is correct. Yes. Van Halen put out Best of Volume One. They didn't put out Best of Volume Two, but they did put out a later hits album called The Best of Both Worlds. Okay. Because that album basically was a two disc album. The that Hagar
2: had... and Roth. Yeah. yeah.
1: Both David Lee Roth, the, the singer from the 80s, 70s, and 80s, and then Sammy Hagar from the later years. Not a thing right. from Gary Sharon. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I actually don't know if there was any Gary Sharon. Best songs of on all there. three worlds. <laughs> Okay, how about in 2001, this pop group released The Hits Chapter 1. There has not been a Chapter 2 as of yet. Pop group. Pop group. Big pop group. All men? All men. Backstreet Boys? I was going to say, but pop possibly you'd call them boys at the time. Ah. Uh, the Backstreet yes. Boys, yes. Okay, uh, last one. How about On the Radio... Greatest Hits, Volume 1 and 2. So not only did this artist say, you know what, I'm going to have Volume 1, but I'm going to tell you what, it's going to be Volume 1 and 2 all on the same album. <laughs> and it was a number one album. Is it? Well, I was going to say Elvis Costello,
2: because the radio... Mm. Ra- I,
1: <laughs> no, he's never had a number one album. Uh, I didn't know that. Um, I need a, I need a hint, please. Um, uh, This female solo artist was... Okay enormous in the late 70s, multiple number one hits on the Hot 100. Um, Some might say she is the queen of disco.
2: I was going to say Donna Summer.
1: And now I know I'm right. (laughs) Some might say, in fact, I just gave you the answer. Yes, it's Donna Summer.
2: This, you know, Um, when I was watching, did you see the section of the Oscars that was basically like, A Quiz Katie, but with Glenn Close. (laughs) Uh,
1: Is this when she danced to "Debut" by You?
2: Yes, it is. And they've since uh, let it be known that
1: that whole moment was scripted, but it was truly incredible. Um, Well, there you have it. Um, Quite a random chart stat of the week about some interestingly titled Greatest Hits albums that were all also top tens on the Billboard 200, some of them even number ones. Okay, we've reached the end of our Big Shoe. Any parting words? Well, that made me think of
2: the Oscars segment because they specifically brought up Donna Summer's "Last Dance" and how it had won an Oscar. Is that accurate? Yeah, for best original yeah. song
1: from um, "Thank God It's Friday." I think was the so name. they
2: they asked they asked a bunch of people in the audience to like whether a song had been nominated or won or neither, um, and had people guess, which was really fun.
1: Okay, I will tell you. debutt was not nominated.
2: Cor- yes, which Glenn Close let us know. But then
1: Andrew Day was asked whether Prince's "Purple Rain" had been nominated. No, the song itself was not nominated, but. Purple Rain, the score, was nominated for Best Song Score from a Motion Picture, and Prince and won the Academy Award. Correct, yes. And so
2: Andra was like, I bet it didn't get nominated, and basically went on a then-censored tangent on the Oscars about, about. I think she probably said BS or something in her in her line about Prince not being nominated. So, yeah.
1: But they did explain how he did actually win. Yes,
2: yes. Okay. The 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 man asking the questions, Lil Rel How uh,
1: Howery, he explained the uh, distinction. So is this you suggesting that we should go out on a Prince song? Oh sure. I mean I. On Purple Rain. I, I, I'm
2: never. Yeah, I'm never going to argue against going out on Purple Rain. Let's go for it. Okay. Uh,
1: see you guys next time. Bye. Purple Rain.